0: Is where we're going to be. First John chapter three tonight. First John and chapter three. First John chapter three, and we'll begin reading in verse number four. So first John chapter three, and beginning in verse number four. Once again, keeping in mind that uh, uh, John's writing this letter. In response to the Gnostics that were teaching in his day, and so in first John chapter three, verse number four, he writes something that seems rather obvious to us: whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law, and ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him that is in Jesus. Is no sin. So whosoever abideth in him sinneth not, and whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, again, we do ask, Lord God, that you would lead and guide us through your word tonight. And we thank you and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated by this uh, what John wrote. As I said, just seems rather obvious. But just like there were in John's day, there are also those in the day in which we live that don't believe that the law is any longer relevant because we live in the age of grace. And to that I would say we do live in the age of grace. And we need grace because God's grace forgives us for being lawbreakers, but that does not... Uh, relieve us of our obligation to try to hold to the truths of God's word or the law. And so contrary to what the false teachers were teaching in John's day, remember one of the things that the Gnostics taught was what we did in this body really didn't matter because that's what the these bodies are material. And that's what these bodies were uh, were made for or designed for. They also didn't believe that. Uh, God could uh, join himself with a body because that which is uh, deity could not join itself with that which is material. That was a great miracle that God did and that the word did become flesh and dwelt among us. And he did live the perfect life. Jesus did. And that's what John's trying to get across here. Look in in verse number four of 1 John 3. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. That's all of us. We are all transgressors of the law. We all have broken the law. Sin is the transgression of the law. Verse number 5, And ye know that he was manifested, that is, God came in the flesh, deity joined himself to that which is material, to take away our sins, and in him was no sin. Jesus taught that you could identify believers by their fruits, that Christians, uh, uh, those who uh, accepted Christ as personal Savior, those who trusted Christ were no longer going to, quote, live in sin. Do we continue to sin? Yes, we do. It is that constant, uh, that, that constant battle, but the, once the Spirit dwells within us, We have that fight in us, that constant war where the spirit wars against uh, the flesh. Unlike what the Gnostics taught, that you might as well give up on that battle because you're not going to win it. The flesh is just going to do what the flesh does and, and, and live a sensual lifestyle. Jesus, on the other hand, said you'll be able to know believers by their actions, Matthew chapter 7, verse number 16, Jesus said, Ye shall know them by their fruits. And so there, uh, there would be victorious Christians, no perfect Christians, but victorious Christians who got the victory over, over, uh, over sin. In Matthew chapter 7, verse number 20, Jesus said, Wherefore, by their fruits shall you know them. So in this entire epistle, John explains to us how we can identify the believers from the non-believers. This whole epistle, really, it's a self-test by which we can answer a few questions and identify whether we ourselves are acting like believers who are living for God. Though false teachers, even today, proclaim it matters not what kind of lifestyle you live. John proclaims you can identify true believers by the lifestyle in which they live. In John's day, the Gnostics, as I said, taught the Bible standards were irrelevant. They were unnecessarily being taught by the apostles. Many churches practice this very same philosophy today. Things that were sin um, five five decades ago are no longer sin today because, well, the majority of Christianity has just accepted those things. Uh, John, however, pointed out that the apostles were eyewitnesses to Christ, the way that he lived, and of course they were ear witnesses to his teaching. And so therefore, they would be the best qualified to teach what Jesus passed along. So in verse number 4 here, Of First John chapter 3 which begins our next section John here begins explaining why our actions are so important and that they truly do identify us as believers Uh, in verse number 4 we can see that John says Christianity does not mean anything goes. Just because we live in the day of grace or the age of grace, it, it does not mean that anything goes. There is still a law. Verse number four, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth the law. And so to continue to live in sin is to live in violation of God's law. You know, the rules of Christian conduct are not called options. According to John, it's the law, and many live the Christian life as though this is optional. Church is optional. Um, reading God's word is optional. Jesus came and He gave us a bunch of suggestions, and and we would do well to take those suggestions. But 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 it's all optional. John says, on the contrary, what Jesus what Jesus gave us was a law now uh, laws obviously can be broken but there will be consequences for those laws Um, there's the the law dealing with abstinence first Thessalonians 4 3 for this is the will of God even your sanctification that ye should abstain from fornication that's not a suggestion it's God's law you know, trying to live your life as though the laws of the land were optional. You know, take the, the, the uh, well, the land or the country in which we live. If we were to live our lives every day, every part of our lives, as though laws were suggestions. Here is the suggested speed limit. 25 miles per hour in a residential area. Um, just a suggestion we know it's more than a suggestion Uh, we know that that sign doesn't doesn't politely ask would you please maintain a speed of 25 miles per hour or less Uh, if you get pulled over you're gonna find out that was not a suggestion nor is it up for debate the law was stated the law was posted and it doesn't matter if you've got five people in your car and one police officer pulls you over. And you ask, well, sir, what did I do wrong? And he says, well, you did, you did uh, 15 miles per hour over the speed limit. Well, you don't understand, officer. There's five of us in this car, and we all believe that that speed limit ought to be higher. But have you noticed that that's how Christianity works today? That God has established something. And here's a great illustration, fornication. God says, this is the will. That means it's the law. This is the will of God, even your sanctification. If you want to be sanctified, if you want to be pleasing to God, if you want to be in God's will... This is what you're going to do. You're going to abstain from fornication. But everybody commits fornication today. Everybody. It doesn't matter. If everybody is speeding, you're still speeding. If everyone's breaking the law, as I said, if you tell the police, there's five of us in this car here, we outvote you. Guess what? You're still getting a ticket. It doesn't matter. We still reap the consequences. As I said, live your life as though the laws of the lands were options. You're going to find there are consequences for violation. Uh, Christians should not abide in violation of the law any more than the citizen of the United States of America. One of the reasons people give for disregarding God's laws is that God's laws um, exclude certain people. Well, God, God's laws are exclusive. Um, for instance, what we just talked about, uh, fornication, certain lifestyles. God's laws are exclusive. And, and since God's not exclusive, we can't apply these things. But Have you noticed that the only people they exclude are lawbreakers? Isn't it amazing how laws are usually uh, opposed by those who want to break the laws or who don't like the laws? Now, granted, I will. I'll give you this. There are laws and there have been laws on the books that are that were bad laws that needed to be changed. And thank the Lord. Many of those laws have been changed. And, and, of course, some laws that have been changed should not have been changed. They just were changed because people didn't like the laws. But, but here's the thing about God's law. The law of the Lord is perfect. It doesn't need to be changed. And, therefore, if, uh, if, we, are, if we cross God's law, that means it's we who need to change, not the law of God. But since having a law against murder on the books outcasts the murderers, uh, it, just doesn't, it doesn't mean that we should take those laws off of the books. Laws against reckless driving kind of leaves out those drivers who want to drive like maniacs. Um, it, uh, it, it excludes them. As a matter of fact, many have lost the right to drive because they choose to drive like maniacs. So those laws have... Excluded them laws do exclude people those who disregard the word of God are going to be outcasts by God Romans chapter 16 verse number 17 says I beseech you brethren mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. So the word of God here tells us that lawbreakers are are outcasts. Here's what people hate about the word of God. It judges. The word of God judges. Laws judge. Um, Christ is under no obligation to accept anyone, by the way. Of course, there's this big cry today that, well, God... Churches should accept everyone, and and God accepts everyone, because God is love. That's actually not true. God is love, but God's under no obligation to accept anyone. Take your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 7. And uh, someone that God will not accept is a lawbreaker. Matthew chapter 7, the book of Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Matthew chapter 7, verse number 21. Jesus says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. So what Jesus is saying is the kingdom of heaven is very exclusive. It's not anything goes and everyone comes in. As a matter of fact, Jesus even says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord is going to come in, but he, look at the the rest of that verse, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. So Jesus says, it's not come as you are, whoever wants to, you're welcome. Not even those who say, Lord, Lord. But he says, here is the, the mandate. He says, he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. By the way, doing the will of the Father means accepting Christ as personal Savior. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the will of the Father. And of course, in order to come to repentance... You have to be able to acknowledge, I'm a lawbreaker. I have broken the law. I've transgressed the law. I've sinned against God. This whole idea that Jesus accepts anyone is not a biblical idea. It is a worldly idea. We already looked at Matthew chapter 7. Take your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Here is another example. Here was a man who wanted Jesus to accept him. But he wanted Jesus to accept him on his terms. Let me just say this. Jesus does not accept us on our terms. He accepts us on his terms and that's it. Luke chapter 18, Luke chapter 18 Verse number 18, a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Here is a man who wants Jesus to accept him. He comes to Jesus and he says, "Uh, What must I do? I want to be accepted by you. He even calls him good master. Well, Jesus writes away, right away lets him know what his problem is. In verse number 19, Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good save one. That is God. And so right away he's attacking this man's theology. This man believes that there are people Who can be good? Oh, and incidentally, he believes he's one of them. And that was his problem right there. Verse number 20. He says, Thou knowest the commandments or the law. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, All these have I kept from my youth up. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. Now him being rich was not the problem. Him trusting in himself and his own goodness, that was the problem. But he liked his lifestyle and he was not willing to repent of his lifestyle. And so, therefore, Jesus had to do what God does. He rejected the lawbreaker. Now, it doesn't matter what lifestyle it is. It doesn't matter uh, what the sin is. We need to understand that God accepts us on His terms, not on our terms. And um, regardless of what our excuse is for living the way that we live, John said, and getting back to First John chapter three, verse number four, "Whosoever committeth transgression, or whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law." For whatever reason it doesn't matter It doesn't matter that that's what everyone else is doing It doesn't matter if that's what the, the Gnostics are teaching It doesn't matter that, uh, uh, that uh, that's the acceptable lifestyle John says if you commit sin you transgress the law We need to remember that without the death of Christ on the cross All men are rejected by God there is no acceptance by God. Second Corinthians 9.15 says, Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. So what John is trying to do is, John is trying to get the people reacquainted with the degradation of sin. And the fact that sin is, we are not to take sin lightly. We are not to have this lighthearted attitude about sin Regardless of the sin You know and every single one of us Will justify sin in our life Well because this sin Isn't as bad as that sin over there And I know nobody's perfect And I know that I need to work on some things But at least I'm not You do realize That that was what the Pharisee said When he was praying In the temple Next to the publican When the Pharisee he probably was, would be willing to admit, I'm not perfect, but Lord, I, I'm so thankful that I'm not an extortioner like this publican. I'm thankful that I don't do other things like other people do. Yet the Bible says that when he walked out, he did not walk out justified the sinner, the publican did. We all can justify sins in our own lives because we don't think, they're as bad as what the world's doing. The truth of the matter is, sin is sin. Sin is is not something that we should cleave to. Hey, a good law isn't necessarily a law that's easy to abide by. Um, just because it's a hard law to keep doesn't mean it's a bad law. We can't change or ignore God's rules for for our conduct just because we don't like them or they're not easy and then there's the habitual lawbreakers that show their disdain for the lawmakers in john chapter 14 verse 15 jesus says if you love me keep my commandments our love for a leader can overcome all disagreements we may have with him christ is perfect He doesn't make mistakes no matter how much we may dislike or disagree with his word and and with what it says, he doesn't make mistakes. So by by willfully going against him, our actions are saying that we have a better way. But John reminds us in 1 John 3, verse number 4, that a Christian's conduct, a Christian's actions says a lot about what he truly believes. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. We need to remember First John was written to believers. It was not written, or professed believers, not written to the lost. But then as we come to verse number 5, John makes another statement here. And that is that Christ came to condemn sin, not to condone it. So this whole idea, well, we live in the age of grace. And so our standards don't have to be so rigid. We don't live under the law. Well, let's not forget Christ came to condemn sin, not to condone sin. And what does the word Christian mean? It means to be like Christ. Literally, little Christ. So, Jesus came to take our sins away. and As Christians, we should not have a light attitude towards sin. We should hate what sin did to our Savior. It caused our Savior much suffering. Even the so-called little sins. Remember, the very first sin in the Bible recorded was pretty much the sin of pride, which is what? Satan committed. And then, of course, he got Eve to be prideful in herself. You shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. The day you eat thereof, you'll not surely die. As you read the account of Christ's crucifixion, you know, oftentimes we get upset with Pilate for washing his hands. And every time I read, it's kind of like when you watch a, a game over and you hope that the results will be different. You read Pilate and you read about how close he was to the truth. Even to the point that when Jesus told him about truth, that he replied by asking, what is truth? And every time I read the account of the crucifixion, I just think to myself, Pilate, this time, don't wash your hands. When his wife comes to him and says, I "Have nothing to do with that man. I've had terrible dreams because of him," and you you, you just say, "Pilate, listen to your wife." When Pilate sent Jesus to Herod, and then Herod sends him back, and and then he goes to back to the Jews and says. I found no fault in him. Herod hasn't found any reason to kill him. We find no fault in this man. He's innocent. I think to myself, well, Pilate, then just let him go. But every time we read about Pilate finally saying, fine, you can take him, you can crucify him, and he walks over and he washes his hands in the basin, and he says, I've washed my hands of this matter. You want to get upset with Pilate. But here's the thing. Pilate couldn't let him go because Jesus had to die because I'm a sinner. Every time we read about Caiaphas and the high priests, trying to set up false witnesses and condemning an innocent man. Oh, you want to get mad at those priests? You want to get mad at the corruption? And and you want to compare them to the politicians today? But the truth of the matter is, Caiaphas had to condemn him. Jesus had to die because of my sin. And then when you read about Judas Iscariot betraying, our savior for silver not even enough not even enough really to buy anything and you read about jesus and you read about him teaching and he teaches the apostles and and will even make mention that one of you is a devil i've chosen the 12 of you and one of you is a devil you think judas would you please just repent But he doesn't. And every time you read the gospel, he does the same thing. He lets Satan enter into him. He goes to the priests. He leads them to Jesus and they arrest him. But you know, it had to happen because of my sin. And there are many other parts of the crucifixion you read about the cruelty of the Roman soldiers as they took him out, as they beat him and as they spat upon him and as the priests plucked his beard and as they embedded the crown of thorns upon his head, as they stripped off his clothes, put on a, a, a purple robe, mocked him and then they tore that off and put his clothes back on him. You want to blame the Roman soldiers, but the truth of the matter is, the sin that I condone in my life, that's why he had to go through that. It was all on account of sin. Amazing that we live in a day and age when churches... Are finding ways to justify all oh, the sin of unfaithfulness, the sin of faithlessness, the sin of worldliness. And yet it was that sin that sent our Savior to the cross. Yours and mine caused the Savior. to sorrow, to sweat, as it were, drops of blood. To say that I I wish myself to die, sorrowful unto death, my sin. And yet, if we'd be honest, we all justify it. Well, it's not as bad as what the world's doing. It's not as bad as that flagrant lifestyle. Oh no, sin is sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Even if I'd only committed one in my entire life, Jesus would still have had to die for it. You know, as amazing as it may be, more Christians disdain preaching against sin than the sin itself. You know, some have left this church over the stand we take against alcohol. Yet there isn't one good thing alcohol has ever done for any society. No one's ever been able to... to uh, no one has ever been able to answer that challenge. I'd like to know one good thing alcohol has ever done for any society as a whole. Talk about death count. Talk about ruined families. Even the word of God, Proverbs 31, 4, says it's not for kings. It's not for kings to drink wine nor for princes strong drink. I've had people argue with me about that one. Well, we're not kings. Oh, I beg to differ. God says we're a royal priesthood. That once you are, once you are saved, you, you become part of the royal family. The, the Bible goes on. It's not for princes to drink strong drink. At the very least, I'm a prince. You can be a prince or a princess, whichever you choose. But he goes on and says, Lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment. Of any of the afflicted. Word of God tells us what alcohol does. It indicates it's not for Christians. We're told not to look upon it in Proverbs 23, that when it's an alcoholic beverage, and all wine is not in the Bible, much of it was fruit juice, if you will. But when it's an alcoholic beverage, look not thou upon it when it is red, the Bible says. That means when it makes your eyes red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright, the last it biteth like a adder. So it's, the Bible is describing here not just a drink, but certainly an alcoholic beverage. Maybe there are some that despise the fact that this church preaches against divorce this church does because Christ did but everyone's getting divorced oh, i understand that every one of us also battles with pride doesn't make it right we justify sins matthew 19 he answered and said unto them have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female and said for this cause shall a man leave father and mother. And shall cleave to his wife. And, and they twain shall be one flesh. I had someone ask me the other day. How can you in this society preach against divorce? Uh, the same way that Paul did in his, in his society. It was pretty much the same. I mean divorce isn't, is not new to our era. Now granted in our country the divorce rate keeps going up and up and up, and I understand that. But in world history, there's nothing new under the sun. And when Paul preached against it, in New Testament times, boy, it was just as foreign as it is to us today. It's not a good idea to follow the condemned our sins and the consequences of them are condemned by the innocent blood of Jesus Christ. Don't follow something that leads to condemnation. You now, Christianity doesn't mean anything goes, according to verse number 4. Christ came to condemn, not to condone sin. Let's move on to the third thing. The Bible tells us here in 1 John chapter 3, Verse number 6, Whosoever abideth in him, sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth, hath not seen him, neither known him. So abiding in him will discourage us from sin. You know, even when we do sin as Christians, we're able to identify it and rectify it. We're convicted by it. Uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse number 9. Let's just turn back, do a little refresher here. First John chapter 1, verse number 9. If we confess our sins, not condone them, confess them. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, once in Christ, we are to be new creatures. We understand that. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. Why does Christianity today step all over itself trying to condone the old lifestyle? You know, abiding in Christ means abiding in the word, which helps reveal sin. It helps to reveal sin in our lives and reminds us, man, those sins ought not to abide in our lives, or continue. Romans 7, verse number 7, the Apostle Paul says, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. Paul says, uh, just an easy thing, a natural thing. Me wanting my neighbor's car, desiring it, coveting it lusting after it he says it just came so natural to me I had no idea I was breaking the law Psalms 119 105 thy word is a lamp unto my feet that means it reveals things that's what the word of God does the word of God it reveals things Paul says it revealed to me that this common lust that i have even though it's common and even though it's natural and even though it's a it's it's in every single one of us it's wrong paul's and paul says i never would have known that except for the lamp which revealed it to me thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path so abiding in christ it means abiding in his uh in his word uh, Obviously, abiding in his, in his church, abiding in prayer, all these things will cause us to choose right over wrong. Abiding in him so you can be filled with the Spirit, enabling you to do his work. Turn to um, Acts chapter 4, verse number 31. We're going to close with this. Acts chapter 4 and in verse number 31. Acts chapter 4 verse number 31 God's given us the tools to overcome. He's given us the tools to be victorious. He's given us his word. He's given us the New Testament church. In Acts chapter uh, 4 Acts chapter 4 verse number 31 The Bible tells us And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. By the way, what's an assembly? This was the local church there in Jerusalem. They were assembled. Uh, Whenever I read about these instances in God's word, we read about one the other night in that very first church. The very first church, of course, being the apostles. In one of the 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 very the very first meeting after the resurrection of Jesus Christ Jesus came back and there was a man missing his name was Thomas and you know they didn't YouTube it they didn't uh Facebook it they didn't hash brown it whatever you whatever you call it the thing is is you were there or you missed out i still think that even though we have technology and, and i'm thankful that we do i still think if you're not there you miss out it's called an assembly for a reason Thomas missed out. And I wonder in Acts chapter 4, verse number 31, how many were not assembled. Now I understand there were probably some who were sick. And we certainly have some who couldn't be here tonight, who would love to be, but couldn't because they were sick. But there may have also been those who could have been there, but they were busy. They allowed themselves to be hindered. Now, sometimes we're hindered when we don't allow it. It's just we don't live in a perfect world. Sickness hinders us. Uh, sometimes it's distance that hinders us. Uh, whatever, sometimes things that we can't help. But I, 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 I can't help but think about those like Thomas who could have been there and missed out on the first appearance of Jesus Christ those who were not assembled together here in Acts chapter 4, verse number 31, when the place was shaken, where they were assembled together. And the Bible says they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. There's a reason for the assembling. And you know, there are some services... That are just so special. You can't film it. You can't explain it. You can't share it with anyone. You can only experience it. And it causes you to be so filled. The Bible says notice what happened after that. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. There's just something about the assembly. There's a reason that God says not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is. Because there are things that happen in the assembly that you just can't film. Thank the Lord for the local New Testament church. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed.